1: Did you know that a recent survey, a global survey in fact, found that 48% of employees worldwide don't like their jobs and that fully 43% of those surveyed frequently think about quitting? Well, if you feel unappreciated, unmotivated, disinterested, or quite frankly, just not happy at all, you're certainly not alone. And yet, ironically, we spend fully a third of our life working. You would think that that time spent should be fulfilling not just financially fulfilling, but personally satisfying. We continue our series on the workplace and you. Joining us in studio is career coach, Dr. David Petrovay. Dr. David, great to have you with us today.
2: Nice to be back, Greg.
1: We are sort of culminating now this ongoing series. You've walked us through the finer details of what the workplace looks like, how it's continuing to evolve, what work will look like in the future. And as we've learned from many of those lessons, today we have an opportunity to learn further, to kind of go deeper with a panel of experts in studio. And let me take a moment, if I can, and introduce our guest today. We have with us... Julie Fleury. Julie is with the PJF Group. She is a talent acquisition and executive search individual. Julie's been working in the arena of employment for over 30 years. Also with us today is Jim McDonald. Jim is a career coach, consultant, and author whose corporate experience spans more than three decades. Jim has worked with such notable companies as Stanford Research Institute, Bechtel Engineering, Dolby Sound Systems, National Semiconductor, and various agencies that serve both the state of California and the federal government. Jim has taught human resource information systems for San Francisco State University and Golden Gate University and is a published author. Also, today in studio is Ron Visconti. Ron is executive director of Phase 2 Careers, a nonprofit that assists the over 40 worker assisting laid-off workers, job seekers, and career changers. He is a recipient of the prestigious Outstanding Career Development Professional Award Bestowed by his peers of the California Career Guidance Association. Ron is also a author. He's co-authored two books on recruitment and termination and is taught at various local colleges. Let me welcome all of you to our panel today. And Dr. Petrova let me start first with you. This topic of careers and jobs and the changing relationship that individuals have with the workplace today can be overwhelming at so many levels that people, I think, sometimes tend to just sort of give up and take whatever comes along their way.
2: And this is a situation that we've observed, or at least I have, as a career coach, where people will say, I'll take anything. And then we start to identify and define anything. And then they say to me, well, it's really not anything. And I think the clearer that people can be on what those next steps are, the better And more likely they are to achieve that. So I always say to people, if you need to take a job that we refer to as a survival job in between the work that you've done and where you see yourself next, think about a position that will provide threads that you can take with you as you move on to this position. I also say to them, if this is your goal, Don't choose a job that you say, I could stay with this for 20 years, and you give up your dream of what it is that you truly want to do in life just to get by.
1: So the notion here is that we can obtain certain skills and use that skill set to move us toward a job that we can really get a sense of satisfaction in. The, the temporary job that gets us from point A to point B, the survival job, as you suggested, um, might be one thing. But the bigger picture here is what you're really trying to encourage people to see.
2: Exactly. And as they are in that survival position, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We do need to pay our bills okay, and keep a roof over our head. But think about positions that will provide for transferable skills that you can take into your ideal job.
1: We joked off the air that some of this for some individuals might be a lot like losing a marriage and now getting back out into the dating world and say, my goodness, we were married for 30 years. I think I know how to do this, and yet they discover that a lot has changed. Is
2: that also generally true with the job market? And what I find is that I always use the analogy of getting a job similar to dating. So you're looking for a match, and how do you go about doing that? Well, by getting to know who your future partner might be. And so that's the purpose of the interview process. And that's where you decide if there's going to be a second date. And then eventually that can lead to, hopefully, a marriage that will be lasting as long as it's meant to. Um, The thing about work versus a marriage is Hopefully, your marriage will last longer than your current workplace. Indeed so. <laughs> yes. Now, that said, we, we
1: think we know what dating is like, and some people might think that they know what looking for a job is like, because after all, they've done it before, or they did it 10 years ago. Is there one different dynamic today, though, and that is the speed at which things are changing?
2: Well, I think this is a perfect segue into bringing our panel on board and talking to them about this whole experience. Because there have been changes, and they've been in the field and observing what those changes are. So that being said, I think the first thing I'd want to ask our panel, which includes Julie, Jim, and Ron, what we know is that previously, individuals have traveled through three major areas or phases in their lives. They started out doing training or schooling, which lasted depending on what their educational goals were, up to the age of 18, 21. And beyond that, they went into the employment phase. And that lasted between the ages of 18, 21, through what we've talked about on past shows, 65. And at 65, you were ready for retirement. And that, those were going to be your golden years, where you didn't have to worry about getting up for work life was about going fishing, it was about traveling, whatever you had hoped for that would follow your years of employment. And I'd like to ask each of you on the panel, how do you see that applying in today's work world, similar to what happens with dating and the phases of dating? So, um, Julie, why don't we begin with you?
3: Thank you, David. I think for what I've seen is that once 2007 and the, and the uh, depression, crash, whatever you want to call it, happened, um, a lot of people lost that nest egg for golf, for traveling around, for buying that second and third home. And in uh, the office that I had just, um, just worked at, we found that there were more and more people coming in that were over 65 looking for work, and they were feeling too old. To work here in Silicon Valley, one of the avenues that, um, and you had talked about it a bit, they needed to figure out what it was they could do um, for the interim. Many of them decided that um, being a receptionist or working in a nonprofit environment was um, enough to help them through until they were able to find something else. Many of them are well into their 70s and still working because they don't have that nest egg anymore. Okay. Ron,
2: what
4: are your thoughts Yeah, on that? I was going to say that old model doesn't apply because uh, we, we're seeing people going back to school at 60, 65. We're seeing people take greater jobs, people retiring, coming out of retirement, going back into the workforce. It's a totally very uh, – all kinds of systems going on. And some people return to college. They don't go the traditional 18 to 21. They might come back in their 30s or 40s. So that particular model doesn't apply. There's just so many paths and so many ways to go in today's workplace.
2: And what do you think is contributing to people making different decisions than they did prior to 2007?
5: Well, I think kind of playing into the question because it's uh, complex, the first thing, because we're mixing different age groups, and I think there is a kind of a, a macro and a micro uh, element to a transition. In, in my book, I put in a number of the pages the icon integrating change, and I think that everybody gets involved in this problem of integrating change, and that prompts uh, them to reexamine themselves relative to their careers. And that's when they begin to make the big change. Either is it re-educated or they're going to Ron's workshops or they're getting some directed uh, one-on-one counseling from, from uh, maybe a, a college counselor or someone in the field who is a, an expert. So it's a disruption to their work world. It uh, throws them into a, a patch of uh, uncertainty. And that's when uh, uh, they're able to, to handle change, productive change, Or they became really a, um, um, a, a not a victim so much, but a, uh, a a fatality of the labor market.
1: For listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrovay. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrovay, please visit his website at davidpetrovaycoaching.com. That's davidpetrovaycoaching.com or call 650-400-7461. That's 650 400 And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World.
4: I, I wanted just to mention technology is king in the Bay Area. And so that's driving a lot of people going into uh, different jobs. And coming into different jobs, not necessarily with education, they're self-taught. And I've, I've met lots of programmers. I've met lots of people that get into the job market, not that traditional way, but what they know in, in, in navigating with their referral system.
1: Sounds like one of the changes that's that's transpired here, at least in recent years, has been the shift at the older age brackets, where traditionally, historically, with either a pension or Social Security, an individual might reach 62, 65 and say, that's it, I'm done, we're going on the cruise, no more. Where today, more and more individuals are either staying in the workplace or returning to the workplace because of either financial downturn or just the sheer cost of living in the Bay Area, or some that might say, I'm 65, but today's 65 is now 45, and I feel like, gee, retire and sit at home and do what? I think I've got another 20 years of working in me and I enjoy what I do. I like the day to day engagement and getting out there into the office and interrelating with coworkers and with clients. So, why should
4: I quit? And that also brings up an, another issue of how we work. Uh, there's people coming in and out of the workforce uh, all the time, but we're also working differently. Julie has worked in the staffing world. She could tell you that there's a lot of outsourced projects. Any comments about that, Julie, about just how the whole world of work is very project-driven now and very consultant-driven?
3: There are a lot more consultants um, in the workplace now. Many of them can work remotely. Some of the um, project managers and program managers will actually not be in the office. Maybe the people they're working with and that are working for them are international. They may be in India. They may be in the U.K. So that, I don't think, um, is something that happened maybe 10 years ago or 15 years
1: ago. Is this the shift, Dr. Petrovay, to the so-called gig economy
2: that we've talked about? And we've had quite a discussion on the gig economy where people can work remotely, and they tend to work project-based So it was the old model that actually took place back in the Middle Ages where people would come in and there would be a project that they were working on, like building a cathedral, and they were stonemason. And they came in, they did their job as a stonemason, and when it was done, they moved on. So that's pretty much the foundation for this. But I'm also hearing that we can use technology to allow us to work remotely so that you could be sitting on the beach in Tahiti and still conducting business.
3: That's very true.
2: So tell me a little bit about your experience with the clients you've worked with around some of the innovative ways that they're approaching work today, as opposed to, well, I see that there's a job opening. I send in my resume. I wait for a response from the company, and then based upon that, I go in for an interview, and if they decide they like me, they will hire me, and then I will work for them for the next 10 years. So how much do you see that model still playing out, or are you seeing the people that you work with and that you know using some more innovative approaches to how they get work? Well, one thing that
4: uh, I represent and work with the over-40 professional I'm seeing more people marrying two or three different kinds of career paths because of they have two or three different interests. So, for example, someone could be a marriage and family therapist and work for a staffing firm. I, have, I know someone who does catering and also does a journalism practice. So two or three interests that they have, rather before you just have one job and you do it 40 or 50 hours a week, they're melting their jobs together.
1: And, Ron, that can almost be freeing in a sense. We hear a lot about underemployment these days, that somebody has a job, but it's only 20 hours a week, so they're underemployed. Yet what you're suggesting is that maybe for the individual who has a variety of talents and interests in different areas – that being underemployed in one arena is not a bad thing because then you can dedicate 20 hours a week to doing this job. Maybe you're an individual that likes to do uh, outdoor things, so you get a part-time job working as, I don't know, a park ranger somewhere, but at the same token, your technical background is working as a CPA. So instead of finding a full-time job as a CPA,
4: you go to work for a firm
1: on a part-time basis, so you really get to enjoy the
4: best of both worlds. I, I agree it it could be freeing, but to some people that are used to the the old model of a nine yeah, a paycheck every week, it could be worrisome at the same time comment on on the
5: the observation or the assertion that people uh would be happier if they took multiple jobs. what I found in my own personal experience it's pretty difficult um I can't cite many examples where a person is multi- multiplied their professional skills in different fields, I think that the, uh, those I've worked with still have a vision about a, a, a uniform job, a, a one-job uh, uh, objective. And uh, to consider other kinds of options is almost too much for them to comprehend. Is there less
1: security in that, though, Jim? And I ask that question because mm-hmm. when it's, I'm pulling up to the same office every day, and one mm-hmm. day the boss says, there's a box packet, here's your pink slip, as opposed to, well, one job has disappeared, but I mm-hmm. still have my other gig, so at least I have something mm-hmm. to fall back on.
5: Yeah. Um, in, in the, um, well, I'm, I'm going through my own personal experiences uh, with, uh, of clients, I, I donated a couple of years to a job lab in Castro Valley, for example, that, uh, where I spent half of the time coaching uh, people in it to make a transition. The other half was teaching computer systems and applications. And I could see that they're awash with uh, applications and technology that uh, they 're unable to, uh, to accomplish
3: know, David, um, you had asked about if I have seen or if we have seen any differences in the clients that we work with. I actually have seen more clients say there is no remote work, um, I'd say over the last three years, included right in that job description when they're asking for someone. Now, is that going to change? Um, I don't know. A big one was Hewlett Packard. They pulled everyone back in and there was no remote work. I know IBM did that um, probably 18 months ago or so. Uh, So there is, I think, constant change. And here in the Valley, I'm not sure that the commute that everyone has to go through um, to live in this wonderful spot that we're in is very helpful. We have other clients who are saying, I don't want anyone having to drive over one of the three bridges to get here. Um, They need to be within a five-mile radius. So that's kind of what I've seen in answer to your question.
4: And I think in in conversation with all of this, and to a degree you're right, Jim, there are people that are unhappy with the new workplace, but there are people that are deliberate and thrive in the new workplace. So that's where you have to kind of figure out how can I operate and live in the new workplace. And some people are falling by the wayside, and other people – find it as it's an opportunity for them to grow in many different areas. Is, is this
1: easier than Ron, for the younger person who doesn't have a history of working at the same job for 10 years as opposed to somebody middle-aged who says, gee, dad worked at the same company for 50 years and I've been with the same firm for 15. And this idea of in and out of multiple jobs at the same time just seems so foreign to me.
4: You know, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and my son's a millennial and I observe his friends that are millennials and they're lot more attuned to the new workplace than we are. We're, we're very uncomfortable with that. But they'll take a, a, a job for a couple of years, grow, and then move on to another job and very, be very, very comfortable that they'll find another job and they'll pick up more skills for their next gig, if you will. So you're right.
3: Ron, I've found that people will be in a position for about 18 months now, the millennials that are coming out. Um, and I've also found that many of our clients are saying, we don't want job hoppers. So now we've got that dichotomy that's going on.
2: And well, it's, in- it's interesting that you would bring that up because I'm working with a millennial currently. And when he's hired into a new position, one of the first statements that his new employer makes is... I know I'm only going to have you for a short time. How can I make the best use of your talents while you're here?
3: That's a great uh, uh, client to be working with, for sure, in company. And I think that that's where we're
2: seeing differences. And uh, a number of programs ago, we had a whole segment on the differences in generations and what they face as challenges as being part of that generation.
5: In my personal experience, I have two sons One's in marketing, uh, works exclusively out of the house, his his house travels very little. Uh, the other son is a senior engineer for a uh, high tech uh, company in uh, in Palo Alto, and he spends two days at home and then commutes into the office. The other three, and uh, why why the, why the change was made for the for the engineer, I'm not sure, but. The other son has had several positions where they tolerated the work out of the house. So it's a negotiating element that goes on between a person who's being hired and the employer. And I spent quite a bit of time in that topic on what I wrote about because negotiating skills are really important to migrate in a very complex world.
1: We're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrovay. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrovay, please visit his website at davidpetrovaycoaching.com. That's davidpetrovaycoaching.com or call 650-400-7461. That's 650 And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. Joining us in studio, Julie Fleury. Julie is with the PJF Group. Julie's been working in the arena of employment for over 30 years. Also with us today is Jim McDonald. Jim is a career coach, consultant, and author whose corporate experience spans more than three decades. Also today in studio is Ron Visconti. Ron is executive director of Phase 2 Careers, a nonprofit that assists the over 40 worker. And you have to go in sometimes, Jim, with that thought in mind if, for example, Let's say you're in a two-person working household, and mom's got a career, dad has got a career. But as you're going in, you'd like to have a little bit of longitude and latitude because, for example, dad is going to be the one responsible for attending the teacher-parent yeah, conferences. Absolutely. So you can negotiate some of this as you're going into the job interview. Uh,
5: in in the one case, uh, mom is a um, senior manager with Chevron, travels a great deal the father is at home uh, all the time tending to two uh, young girls so that works out perfect now that's what he negotiated with his employer my i think that the older son uh, or the younger boy is the uh, the engineer he negotiated the two days and i think it's just a matter of some of the issues uh, that julie's talked about the commuting from uh, san ramon to Palo Alto is just real tough for anyone over a period of time.
1: And, Julie, does this vary from company to company based on workflow? Uh, I mean, clearly not everybody can expect to go in and say, hey, boss, I want to telecommute four days a week.
3: No, they probably won't get that interview. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was going to say that it, it really varies according to industry. Technology wants disruptive Behavior They want – they're always in a, a learning curve, and so change is going to be constant. You don't want disruptive behavior in government. You want people that are going to be stable. So that's why you're going to have a backlash that some employers will want more older workers and some will want more the strategy to have younger workers. It's what they're going after.
1: So the bank needs to be open when customers, customers are coming there, but the IT company, and we're seeing some of this creative thinking in terms of even easing traffic that says we're going to have several shifts that will work, and we might have some people whose day begins at 10 o'clock at night and they work right. till 6 o'clock in the morning.
5: Right. So you like look at you have look at Amazon, 24 7, absolutely going all the time. And then the advent of uh, artificial intelligence is having a huge impact on the, on our uh, population. It may be very subtle, difficult to discern, but it's introduced particularly in in manufacturing and in high uh, rote uh, uh, positions. But in virtually every uh, technical area, there's going to be the introduction of some level of, of uh, robotics and artificial intelligence and speech synthesis. And it's not as if... These are major technical over, uh, uh, hurdles, but the employee has to adjust to them. So the new world requires uh, the applicant has to view the, the new employment world as a, a state of change. I mean, it's just just, just remarkable what's going on in, the, in that world. So the mindset of the applicant is very important.
2: And along those lines, you were talking about, the introduction of artificial intelligence, changes in technology, robotics. So in your experience for the three of you, what types of jobs have you seen disappearing and emerging in the last few years? So I know there will be people who will come in and they say, I want this type of job, and we know that that is in decline, that there are going to be fewer and fewer positions available to them while other new areas are emerging and it's a question of positioning yourself for when they hit the ground you're ready to go with it and your position to be successful
3: you know david i think one of the positions that i've noticed probably in the last 5 years is the receptionist you can walk into a company and you'll see a no person you'll see a phone and a listing and, you know, pick up the phone, dial star 2-3 if you want to talk to David. Um, so I'd say the receptionist is one that has um, definitely lost their numbers. The other one is just with um, Microsoft and Google, most people answer their own email. They don't have an administrative assistant. So those are two areas that I've really seen a decline. Um, and I know that Jim um, picked up on a couple of the ones that are new now—anything to do with the cloud, any machine learning, artificial intelligence, and robotics. Def- data scientist—I mean, three, four years ago, we didn't know, we didn't see the data scientist out there. Um, people looking for—well, who's been working with big numbers? And it's kind of like, okay, let me figure out what that is now.
4: What <laughs> in uh, what Julie's saying is definitely uh, spot on and right, but. If with every trend, there's another uh, mini trend or mega trend. And so, for example, they were talking about bank tellers disappearing. And they the fact of the matter is they need people to go into the bank and to sell services. And and it might be part of the differentiating point of the business that maybe they want to have a personal touch with an executive assistant. So, Even though there might be overwhelming changes in certain area, you have to remember there's always going to be Another area to be considered, and
1: is some of this driven by pushback from the marketplace? I mean, for example, I remember when Webvan first came out. This is during the the, the peak of the just prior to the dot com burst, and everybody thought, boy, this is going to be the next million dollar deal, and we're all going to go online, order our groceries, and that's the way we're going to shop from now on and While certainly Amazon has proven in other areas that to be true people demonstrated that, no, they like to inspect their own cold cuts and they like to squeeze the Charmin and make sure the bread is fresh. And so there seemed to be a, a deferential preference by the marketplace to say, mm-mm, maybe for some, but not for most of us. So is that a factor here too?
4: That's exactly what I'm talking about is that there's – the consumer drives a lot of the activity too, right? So what you're talking about, that they have to physically touch – And go into a store. So Amazon is going to hurt some businesses, but there are people that want stores, right? They want, what about the old furniture store that uh, the big mega, like the Home Depot, and people wanting to go and learn specifically from the clerk about their problem?
3: I think that's kind of going in two directions, and I don't know what percentage it is right now. But in our office, if anyone is under 35 they're more apt to go online and have one of the companies bring them dinner in a box, and then they cook it, and they think that's a big deal. Now they're chefs. They can you know, cook dinner in 30 minutes. Um, and they don't want to be stuck going through to Costco on Saturday or after work. So I think there's also a, a change that's happening. Um, I noticed uh, over at Lucky's by our house, they put in a whole area where you can just call in and then come and have your, you know, pick up your groceries. I'm still with you. I want to be the one that, you know, figures out if my peaches. is but right. But clearly
1: what you're suggesting, Julie, is that this is very generational. It that, is. You know, what the baby boomers feel comfortable with is not necessarily going to be the cup of tea for the millennials.
4: Yeah, I agree. Uh, and there's also, you point out, there's also a big drive for personal service specialized service. Think about one large trend, the home health care movement. That is huge, and that's going to create all kinds of opportunities in different avenues, not just the lower level. There's things coming up, being advocate for patients, medical patients. So there's always the high end and the low end that's created from uh, the, the need for an activity. And, and who would have
1: ever have guessed that we're beginning to see advertisements now for medical groups that actually have physicians that will go and visit you at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. There's a blast from the past. Yes. Please, Jim.
5: The, um I'm focusing on the jobs that may be leaving, I was looking at the McKinsey Report, and um, any, any kind of jobs that are uh, automated, or uh, require require a lot of uh, rote uh, activities uh, such as assembly line workers, dishwashers, food preparation workers, drivers, and agriculture and other equipment operators will see substantial declines in employment because of AI and because of automation. Robotics is going to play a big role. Uh, Food preparation jobs alone are projected to decrease by more than 35% by 2030. So this tremendous increase of automation to improve the bottom line for one, but just to improve the efficiency and improve the quality of services to the customer. Quicker, faster, better is going to have a big impact on certain uh, people. The autonomous drivers for trucks, boy, that's going to be a big one. There's a lot of people out there that are driving trucks. They're going to be hit real hard. Those without any kind of advanced degree are going to be hit real hard. That's a pushback or the emphasis on education is huge. And that's scary for a lot of people, getting back in the classroom and learning new skills, learning the technology that's required by corporations. Big time.
1: You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrovay. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrovay, please visit his website at davidpetrovaycoaching.com. That's davidpetrovaycoaching.com or call 650-400-7461. That's six five zero four hundred seventy four sixty one. And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. Dr. Petrave, what, what strikes me in listening to the dialogue with our panelists here today is that there seems to be uniformity and agreement that change happens, change will continue to happen, but one thing I'm struck by is the rate at which Change is happening where maybe it took a paradigm shift in one industry 20, 30, 40 years to play out. And now, today, with the advancement in technology and AI, that, that same paradigm shift that historically took, again, several decades to play out, now might be happening in under a decade or
2: less. Right. And in one of our previous shows, we talked about Google and Amazon, that they took six years or less. To achieve a billion dollars in sales, where other companies, it took decades. So what we're seeing, as the panelists pointed out, is an accelerated approach to change. And we know that change is inevitable. We were talking about, for instance, with banking. Uh, I know several people who work in the banking industry and say that there are now banks that you walk into and there are kiosks. You don't deal with human beings. And when you look at it generationally, if the younger generation, the millennials, if this is their world, it's all they know. Just like those of us who are baby boomers. That was the world that we knew, so it's familiar to us. And so as they continue to have this experience of fewer people that they interact with and it meets their needs, that will become their world. The next generation coming up, will obviously experience a different world based upon what's around them.
1: Isn't this gonna be unsettling though for some? And I pose that question because for example, uh, the millennialists are very comfortable at texting. And it's not unusual to see two people sitting across the dinner table at a (laughs) restaurant, texting each other instead of actually talking. And yet for the baby boomers, we like to go in and be greeted by our first name and recognize the teller behind the window and say, gee, how are the kids doing? We like that kind of human interaction. So for the millennialist walking into a bank, seeing nobody there but a kiosk, they put the card in, they tap a couple of buttons on the screen. It's all technology that they interrelate with. They're comfortable with that. So what happens to the baby boomer who walks in and says, wait a minute, where are all the tellers? If it's that way from the consumer end of things, I guess that would suggest that the changing face of the workplace is going to be perhaps more unsettling for older generations who are seeing all of this change and seeing Madison Avenue and Wall Street saying, hey, this is the future.
2: Get on board. And onboarding is a big topic right now. How do you onboard people to... Be successful in the workplace of now and in the future because we've talked about the baby boomers. Um, I think we talked about the n- almost 100,000 turn 65 every day. It's this huge number, and what's happening is we've increased our life expectancy. So you know we had talked about the fa- how 65 was identified as the year that people would stop working. That was based on lifespan back then with Otto von Bismarck in Germany. Well, today, more and more people are achieving their 100th birthday. So that means the difference between 65 and 100 is 35 years. Now, you could spend it playing golf if you were lucky enough, but for many people, as we pointed out, they are wanting to continue to work Part of it is to fill in those that time, and secondly, to survive in today's with today's financial needs, especially since we're in the Bay Area, what that would be like for them. So a question that I have for the panel at this point is, based upon this conversation, what three skills would you identify as critical in today's job market? So that our listeners can be preparing themselves for, oh, this is my age, I need to do a self-assessment as to where I stand with this and come up with a plan for how I'm going to address it if there's a gap.
3: Well, there's definitely a gap, and I think education is the only continued education. I don't care if you're a baby boomer and you have your Ph.D., things are going to change. I mean, I remember talking with my grandmother years ago as the, the, the man was walking on the moon, and I thought, you know, Grandma was around when there wasn't even an airplane. And now there's a man walking on the moon. So I think what we're talking about right now are the same feelings that she probably had. You know, she didn't know there was going to be a computer. We know there's going to be change. So you have to be open and willing to continue your own education. You know, learn how to text. (laughs) Learn how to use um, a computer, and if you're going to be in any kind of office environment, then, then learn how to use Microsoft and Google Docs, and, and all of those will only be tools that will help you move forward.
4: Since we're a very project-driven uh, world that we live in now, you have to be up and running very quickly. So you have to be a quick learner, go into whatever company you are, and make an impact right away. So having influence, working with teams, being flexible; those are values that you have to embrace.
2: Jim, what about you?
4: Well, the uh,
5: it harks back to what you uh, you, you observed, uh, David, about uh, change and how people will integrate change. I mean, that's the important part of it. Um, it's going to be an ongoing challenge. I think education uh, has to be uh, part of the equation. Uh, Change is just not something that uh, uh, takes place that has to be integrated with other life experiences. It, to me, it's a conundrum to the applicant to think about all of the different forces that are in playing on the, on the applicant at their age. It may be a high school student or a college student, and I've got a granddaughter 19. We're talking about education all the time. And how she's integrating it with her work, her part-time work. How does she take advantage? How does she see the opportunities in the work? So the college, the new college students is going through that also. So it, it, I think that um, it, it's a uh, – the process in the educational process helps the uh, person uh, see the world differently than, than where they are. So anyway.
2: And looking at the educational process because I sit on a national advisory board for a, a major university – and their College of Education. One of the areas that I think needs to be addressed, and it's certainly beginning to happen, is teaching students how to think outside the box. Because so much of what I remember from all my years of college, and I won't even begin to number what those are with all the degrees I have, it was the idea that you go into a classroom, the professor, or whoever's in charge, delivers a certain amount of information. Your job is to absorb that information and spit it out on an exam. So your success was based on how many of those questions you could answer based upon what they thought was important. There was, in my undergraduate experience, which was many years ago, I don't remember any classes where they talked about application. It was simply information gathering, and then it was your job to assimilate all of that and somehow be able to apply that in what you were going to do next. And my experience with learning Russian history, I wondered where the application was. I mean, certainly in today's world, that might be helpful. Well, we can all think I of think people that. So. Like, yes, so. yes, <laughs> that's true. But back, back in the 60s, it was a question of why am I doing this? And again, it was come into the classroom, sit with 200 other people, absorb, write a paper, take a test, and then move on to your next class. And you ask yourself, what was that about? Because the next class that you went into was totally unrelated. It would have been sculpting. And the reason why there was such variety, I was a liberal arts major and we were required to take a cross-section of classes as part of that program. So none of them really involved out-of-the-box thinking. So here's a problem, how would you handle it? Not only how would you handle it as an individual, but if you were on a team, how would you handle it? That seemed to occur more at the higher degree levels where we worked on teams for projects, like you were saying, Ron. What are your thoughts about the way we're currently training, educating uh, across ages and how that can be improved or applied to today's world of work?
3: I have worked with uh, one client here in Silicon Valley, and there are several others um, that actually put people together, entrepreneurs that are starting their own business, and they help them through that process. Um, I think you have put on a couple of those presentations, haven't you, Ron? Yeah, have. Why don't you talk about that?
4: We, Phase 2 Careers, does some small business workshops, and that was that's what you're talking about, right. uh, how to create an idea, how to turn that idea into uh, reality. And part of that comes from uh, gathering information, talking to people. But to the point of education, uh, people today are kind of taking in information different ways. The old, old school doesn't work anymore. Just being lectured. Um, I know, for example, my son who's thirty-two. Uh, he's a self learner. He'll he'll listen to podcasts and he'll go on and he'll whatever the problem is, he'll start talking to people to solve that problem. So I think there's a more of a collaborative world right now that people are. Uh, Here's the task at hand, what do I, who do I have to talk to to uh, accomplish that task?